This morning our teaching text is from John 20, 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Arabic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. This whole thing exists so you can hear that invitation of the love of Christ. And that could change everything. And, and, and so many of you guys, you really you don't need any more information. You just need to hear Christ calling your name. He's calling your name. And you just need to turn around. Say, teacher, father, God. I love these stories because they show us that there isn't any one of us that doesn't have some massive amount of things that have to be overcome for us to really believe that we're loved. Because life dishes out so much crap. And along the way, we just pick up so many lies about who we are. And then we just believe all these false systems for getting out of that and changing that. Oh, it'll be my career or my whatever, all the things. You know them. I don't even have to list them. You don't need more information. We know what it's like to build a life from all these wounds and, and lies and things we've heard. 
And the invitation of Easter is this resurrection life of God saying, I have done everything necessary for your past to be clean, for you to be whole, for you to know you're forgiven. And I want you to have life and have it to the full. I'm staking my integrity as God on this. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I get it. We live in a pluralistic time in a post-Christian society. And there's ideas that need to be grappled with. And there is information that's important. But almost none of us really at the heart level are changed because you heard a compelling first century proof of the resurrection. It's because somehow the mysterious spirit of God breaks through all our defenses and says you're loved. I knit you together. I love you. I forgive you. You're clean. You're healed. You're mine. And then he raises us to new life with him. And that's what we're made for. That text that Lisa read, it's just, it's, just another, it's just another story. It's another, I was thinking about what are the things that stand in the way of someone embracing Jesus. And Mary Magdalene on Easter morning had as many as there possibly could be. She had her own story. Uh, she had the actual events. Here, Jesus is dead. Okay, this is it. It's over. You backed the wrong person. This is not Messiah. He's in a tomb. And you didn't get enough time on the Sabbath to anoint his body, so you're showing up with a packet of spices to do it. But the movement's over. We're done. These are actual events. In her own past, the story say that she had had seven demons cast out of her, and I don't know exactly how we're to understand that, but certainly, you know, Carrie said in her story, massive amounts of trauma. That's a human story. That's the human story. Massive amounts of trauma. We have that. We have the actual events that we have to contend with. We have our own histories, wounds, lies, fuel for unbelief. Many of us just become so comfortable with, even if it's not ideal, we just become comfortable with the pain we're familiar with. And some dramatic conversion-like change just seems impossible. But what happens in this story and what happens in every story you've heard is that Christ walks up and says our name. And says, in saying our name, he says, I know you all the way to the bottom. I see everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do. And you know what? I love you with an inexhaustible love. We were having a laugh at the sunrise service um, about the few little details in this text. Uh, it tells you the fastest disciple. <laughs> they race to the tomb and John gets there first. He's running like a 5.30 mile, I think. He's um, just moving. And Peter shows up late, but then he's like Peter, and he busts in the tomb anyway, and he looks around. And it doesn't say anything about whether Peter believed, but it says John believed. That they got there, and Jesus wasn't there, but that it was a weird scene. Like, if the body had been stolen, like Mary was afraid, the clothes would have been like scattered around, but they're just like very neatly there. And the, the facial cloth laid aside, and 
And John believed. Another funny detail, I think, is that Mary doesn't recognize him and thinks he's a gardener. And I think that's a, a amusing detail, but I also think it's like John, the gospel writer, saying like, hey, let me just give you a couple of clues about everything. Like all the whole story. Because we know that's where the biblical narrative begins in a garden. And here is this woman where if Jesus has raised from the dead, then the level of shift from devastation to hope in her is going to be so profound, so intense, so life-altering that everything's going to change. Like the whole trajectory of history backwards and forwards is going to be shifted if this person is raised from the dead. So here's a woman in a sense in this paradise garden of sorts and she's meeting the ruler of the garden again. Certainly, at least, the Jewish imagination would go back to the first garden, the first ancestors walking with God in the cool of the evening. And everything that fell out from that temptation to be our own gods, to make our own way, to, we say it every week, to meet the deep needs of our life out of our own resources, to be our own gods. And all the, all the massive trauma that's fallen out from that. She recognizes Jesus in the garden. The passion narrative, the last week of Jesus' life, bookends in a garden. He goes to Gethsemane and he sweats drops of blood. And we don't know exactly all that transpired in that mysterious moment, but he said, let there be some other way. And love got him off of his feet. Though he was crushed with anxiety and fear and said, please let there be, knowing he's about to walk into a massive amount of trauma. He says, it's worth it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy? I think it's the joy of embracing Carrie. The joy of embracing Andrea. The joy of embracing Tori. The joy of embracing you and saying, Son, daughter, beloved, healed, forgiven. He, he, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we go all the way through to, to resurrection. And I said this last week at Easter. like Jesus seems content to always use the poor and marginalize those on the outskirts. But for his tomb, he gets a rich man. Because this rich man has a tomb and a garden. And that's important. And so Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener. And you can imagine all the, like what does this say? The person who healed me who forgave me, who gave me a new life trajectory, who said that was going to be the fulfillment of our hopes, was going to bring us the kingdom of God, that we were getting a foretaste of everything. And now all that's gone. She shows up and she hears her name called. And then she responds. If we do anything here this morning, I want you to know your name is being called. And I want you to know that you can respond from whatever place of weakness and fear and doubt and brokenness. Try to bring something that's stronger than God's love. I dare you. Try imagining the things that have happened to you or the things that you have done are more profound and powerful than the shed blood of Jesus. Not a single drop was wasted on the cross. And after Jesus had fully absorbed everything you and I would ever do wrong, he took his life back up again. And then he went around calling people's names. Mary has this massive recovery of hope. Her name is called. 
And then Jesus says, tell. She gets to be the first person to proclaim the gospel. She runs and tells the disciples that Jesus is alive. Those are the two questions. Do you know that your name is being called? And what does your life tell? What's the story your life is telling? What does your life point to as most valuable, most worthy of affection, most worthy of devotion? What is stirring your imagination? What is pouring out of your life? Jesus says, if anyone comes and drinks the living water that I have, like a geyser of living water will begin to flow in them. They will be, it will well up to, to eternal life. Eric, let's sing some songs. I was springing that on him. He was listening from the balcony. So we'll just talk for a second, two more. (laughs) Because I want you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit inviting you to respond, to let down your guard, to be embraced by Jesus. You don't have to even stir up the strength to do the embracing yourself. Just surrender to love. The love that knit you together in your mother's womb that's known you from the very beginning, that's the only one who can give you your true name. That's a profound thing, right? You heard a father this morning share what it was like to select his son's name. It's a profound thing to name something, to name someone. Jesus does this bizarre thing when he encounters people. He changes their name. You've been called this, you'll be called this from now on. You've been called broken, now you're going to be called healed. You've been called dead, now you're going to be called alive. You've been called devastated, now you're going to be called hopeful. You've carried a garment of shame, and now you're going to dance with a garment of praise and joy. None of your goals have worked out. I'm going to give you a future and a hope. All we need is to know that our name is being called. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing, and by faith, the presence of God fills even this high school auditorium. And I just want to ask you, if you're, if you're sensing, even if you feel like you've been a Christian your entire life, perfect! Mary was already a disciple. And she heard her name called, and she responded, if you sense the Holy Spirit of God is inviting you to something this morning, would you just, would you just cr- call out a response to him? Would you say, Rabbanai? Would you say, teacher? Would you say, I surrender? I want to hear. Show me the way forward. Show me the next step. We're going to have this whole front area, right? The, I don't know why. Christians just do that. They have people come forward because there's something about stepping out and saying, I'm going to make a courageous step that, yes, it risks embarrassment, but all the people that are coming forward are not just people who are, uh, you know, unmitigated disasters, even though we're sunsets we all are. We're saying, I want to respond to the invitation that God's calling my name. So whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you're hearing the Spirit of God call your name for the first time, these people are just going to be up here, our prayer team, and they just want to pray with you, ask questions with you, sort it out. You can pray from your seat, of course. Of course you can. 
but there's something about doing it with another person. And the beauty of the church is that we just speak truth back to one another. Like Carrie was saying, so it's just this community of people who just like courageously keep saying, hey, this is who you are. This is who we are. This is the love of God. Don't forget. Don't let, it, don't let your weak crush you. Don't let those wounds crush you. Remember who you are. We're a resurrection people. So as you sense the invitation of the Spirit, would you just come and pray with someone or pray with someone where you are? We're just going to have a time just in the presence of God, hearing Him call our names and saying things back to Him in faith. We're going to do that together. And then in a few minutes, David's going to bring us to the communion table where we can just have this feast of grace together. But let's just spend our time responding to what the Spirit is saying. Prayer, folks, come forward. Be here to receive people. Holy God, we don't need any more information. We need to respond to your love. In the name of Jesus, would you break through our defenses, our fear, our doubts, our apathy. Would you arrest our attention? Would you call us to life? Would you help us to surrender to love? In the name of Jesus. Lead us in this response time. In Christ's name, amen.